I generally believe that if I didn't fall into this industry, that I don't know what where my path would have took me. I don't know if I would have been still getting in trouble or doing whatever. Um, so for me, it was a bit of a saviour in one way. Welcome to another episode of The Burnt Chef Journal, hosted by myself, Chris Hall, the founder of The Burnt Chef Project. This week's guest is Tommy Heaney, who joins us to talk about his experiences of traveling the globe and the life lessons he's learned during this period of time, and also the impact that the COVID pandemic has had on him and his staff as well. It was a really great chat speaking to Tommy. He's um, got some great insights, I, I feel, and he's got a you know a lot of wealth of experience. But as he says in his own words, you know, it's important that you do take a step back sometimes and that you are prepared to to learn from the ground upwards um, and never be afraid to to really take that plunge and and go back to basics again an amazing guest uh, a conversation that i thoroughly enjoyed and i hope that you enjoy this week's episode as well Lamb Weston are your partner in potatoes. We're a leading global frozen potato manufacturing business with a wealth of experience in offering a portfolio of high-end and quality products on a consistent basis. We supply the pub, casual dining, QSR sectors. We believe in well-being through potatoes and we are very proud to support the Burnt Chef Project. Here to offer our support and help for those that need it and any solutions that you need for you and your business. Tommy, how's it going? Very good. How's things? Whereabouts in the world are you at the moment? Um, I've just come up to the office in the in the restaurant to get a bit of peace and quiet. Hopefully, nobody interrupts me today. You know, so it's one of them ones. You know, what's going on? I take it you're planning for uh, the eventual return, hey? Yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, um, yeah, it's a bit different down here in Wales. We've, um, you know, we're, we're we're hoping to get some you know, some news tomorrow and one kind of dates and that we could look at because I know England are looking to open up around, I think it's outside the 12th of April or something like that and then sides May. But we've been told that we won't be getting any dates tomorrow so we're still in limbo. It's a it's a bit of a nightmare, but it is what it is. No, oh, mate. Are you operating with takeaway service at the moment? Yeah, so at the moment we're doing uh, box meals. So we do a dine-at-home box meal. Um, we also do Sunday roast dinners. So it's enough to kind of uh, keep us plodding along. We had, uh, had a couple of a couple of staff there which weren't eligible for furlough, so we needed to kind of do something to keep them in jobs and keep keep me sane, I suppose. Yeah, there's nothing like, uh, especially in our industry, sitting on your hands for too long is, uh, yeah, it's detrimental, isn't it? Really. Oh, I, do you know what? I'm in one way. You know, it's great that we can do something like this. But you know, trying to get motivation to do anything at the moment is just a—it's just a struggle. But um, you know, hopefully, it won't be too much longer. Yeah. Well, as I say, eleventh of April, uh, hopefully, is is our is our outside seating, which is great for those that have got any outside seating. For those who haven't, we still have to wait for the that final little hurdle. But um, I genuinely think that once we're open, this year is going to be slamming. I reckon we're going to be rammed. Yeah, hundred um, percent. You know, I can't wait to get out. I can't wait to go and sit down and have some dinner somewhere. So, um, have a pint. You know, I want oh. to stand at the bar. I don't even want to sit down and have a pint. I want to stand at the bar and lean in the bar and talk shit to whoever's standing behind the bar. You know. 
Oh, mate. Do you remember those days where you used to be able to have a pint and talk and stand and the, all those things that we took for granted? I don't think I'll ever look at a pint like again the same way, ever. That's the thing. That's the thing. Oh, just, just those environments. You realise that even just your, your quintessential pub, your village pub becomes so much of like a, a just a life life force for the community, doesn't it, really? And, and you know, you knew it at the time, but now you really know it because you miss it. You don't see people. You don't see the, like, even just acquaintances and mates. You just don't, you just don't see anyone. It's such a, it's, mate, that, I'm that's mate. You know, I, I go out for, you know, I go out for a walk, take a dog out or something like that. And, um, you know, you bump into somebody you know, and there's nothing to talk about. You know, it's like, what have you done? I haven't done anything. I haven't left the house. You know, how's work? Same old, same old, you know, and it's just, you know, sitting there, you're, you're just pulling teeth and you're like, you just want to get out of the conversation and move on. And, you know, even if it just gives us all something, something else to moan about rather than, rather than this. I know. Well, my kids this morning, they said to me, what are we doing this weekend, dad? And I was like, same thing we do every weekend. We wait until the weekend's over and we go into the week. And they were like, oh. <laughs> I was like, what do you want me to say? I can sugarcoat it and say we'll try and do something exciting. But we can't drive, so the walks around here are limited. Like, just going to have to try and invent something and hope the weather holds out, he says. Yeah, I mean, I've got my, my, my son there, he's, um, he's nine. And before lockdown, you know, it was, um, you know, he was in the – you know, the Cardiff, um, Cardiff City Academy playing football. He was doing other bits and pieces, playing football six, seven times a week. Um, and then just to go and do nothing, you know. And you can see it's having an effect on him a little bit. And, you know, he's got moves now and stuff like that. So <laughs> he needs to get out and do something. So, uh, yeah, you know, even for his own sanity, um, he needs to be, you know, it's, you can see it's having an effect on, on kids as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my I've got two daughters, and my youngest was uh, telling me that she's so angry she wants to hit things. She's only five. And I'm thinking, <laughs> right, great. <laughs> You've got daddy's uh, daddy's frustration and anger. That's a good start. Nice. Um, I, I pity the boy that eventually, or girl that eventually gets with her. But um, without further ado, I just want to sort of delve into a little bit about your sort of pasts, where you've come from, what got you into hospitality, uh, and touch upon. Uh, your experiences because i mean looking at your bio i mean i was i was a little bit lost on great british menu uh great british chefs when i was looking at it your bio is massive and the places you were you worked all around the world right yeah um you know i've uh i've worked in the states you know i was there for a few years um came back i, I give london a bit of a good bit of a try i worked up in the lake districts went out to australia for a bit um you know, I've been in Wales now. This is the longest place I've ever <laughs> well, obviously since since school and that is the longest place I've kind of stayed still. Um so yeah, it's been a it's been a bit of a travel. Uh I kind of um I don't know, I just never was I was never interested in school. You know, school didn't appeal to me. I wasn't I wasn't very good at it, if I'm honest. And uh apart from Apart from sport and art, that's all I was interested in. Uh, you know, I played uh, I played Gaelic football. You know, at, at county level, you know, I played football um, regularly um, until I found alcohol and girls, and then that kind of went out the window as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, I never, yeah. Really, yeah, I never really seen myself like I've never seen myself going uh, staying in school after sixteen. Um, and I suppose you know, I just. 
how I ended up in the States is I, I, I was hanging about with the wrong crowd, you know, growing up in Belfast and um, moved to a little village outside of Belfast, Crumlin. And sometimes them places are the worst because, you you know, it's, it's smaller. You find yourself looking for stuff to do and you find yourself finding trouble. And my mum was a, a nursery school teacher. So she had her own nursery school and she was running that. And, you know, I was getting in trouble and she's looking at me saying, you know, I'm I'm telling these parents I'm going to look after their kids, and they're looking at you saying you can't even look after your own. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's how I ended up in America. Uh, Thirteen, fourteen, I was, and my mum just said to me, "Oh, listen, you're you're going to have to go away for this for the school summer, and you know, get out of my hair kind of thing." And my, I was lucky that my uncle had a restaurant in the states, and I had no interest in cooking, no interest in in anything. Uh, you know, as I say, other than sports and whatever else. Um, my, my granddad, he was a brickie, so I was doing a bit of labouring for him. My dad was an electrician, so done labouring for him, so that was enough to put me off both them trades. Um, and then I went to dates, and I just, yeah, I just worked, started washing dishes and that, and I just kind of, I don't know, I just, I was looking at chefs and thinking, I want to be doing what they're doing. I don't want to be standing here washing dishes. And, and yeah, that's, that's kind of where the, uh, the love for cooking came from. That's mental. And I think it's, a, it's a something that a lot of people resonate with as well, whether you know, they've ended up following family footsteps or they've, they've joined this career. It's a, like for me, I fell into this industry and I fell in love with it at the same time. I think it's, once it's got you, once it's bitten you, it's very difficult to get away from it, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And um, I generally believe that if I didn't fall into this industry, that I don't know what where my path would have took me. I don't know if I would have been still getting in trouble or doing whatever. Um, so for me, it was a bit of a savior in one way. Um, yeah, you know, I used to have friends that were saying to me, oh, Tommy, you're, you know, you're working the 11 o'clock at night. We're all out in, out in the piss from six after, after work on a Friday. And, and that kind of kept me, um, level headed, I suppose, was the fact that I couldn't go out. I was working. I was never one of them ones to phone in sick and things like that. I'd never done it. Um, you know, I was just, so yeah, working the, working the 60, 70, 80 hour weeks, it just kept me busy, kept my focus on, on that and not thinking about everything else. Yeah. It's a, it's a key, key way of distracting yourself really, isn't it? Like, you know, but, and also great. It's a, you know, we also often talk about this coffee system and how regimented it is, but, you know, there's certain individuals I think that flourish within those environments because you know where you are. Yeah, you know, and there's almost like this. I don't know. For me personally, it's this drive to always be that one step higher, isn't it? You always want to be that. You know, be as refined or as as um, polished as you can be within that role. Yeah, I was. Uh, I, I suppose you know when I say you know I like sports and I like you know art and things like that. It was uh, that side of it. I think that was the part of cooking which I enjoyed. It was, when I say sport, I mean, to, to play sport, you have to be, um, you know, you have to be aiming to, to kind of be the best. Um, you have to be competitive. And I find, you know, hospitality is competitive. Um, so I was pushing myself at a young age to kind of go, right, this is what I want to be. Unfortunately, I was kind of pushing myself to kind of be, to say, I want to be a head chef. I want to be at the top. I want to be making... You know, I want people answering to me, whereas I shouldn't have been. I should have been focusing on, you know, to be the best. You have to take your time, work slowly, work with the best. And um, 
and then earn your stripes that way. What is it that you think drives us to always want that position of power and hierarchy? Well, that was me probably at a younger age was the power of hierarchy. It was, um, I couldn't think of anything worse now. I just want to, I want an easy life now. I don't want people asking me questions and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I'd love just to come into work and, you know, every now and again, I'll take myself over to a pot wash and wash dishes just to get away from things. <laughs> but when you're younger, you want that, don't you? Um, I don't know. I think it's, it's a competitive streak in most chefs. And I think it comes from, you know, there's a, you know, me in particular, as I say, it was coming from when I found something that I was good at and found that I, you know, I think when people tell you you're good at it as well, it kind of gives you that extra bit of, you know, to kind of go, okay, well, if you think I'm good, I can be better. And as I say, it's just it's a competitive thing for me. That's amazing. I mean, you've worked, I mean, you've worked with some great people as well over your career. I mean, have you got anyone particularly that stands out or even with people that you might not have worked with? Have you got any mentors or supporters that have guided you through your career over, over the last God knows how many years? Um, as I say, I started really young. I started at 14, something like that. And my uncle was, um, who was in the States, you know, he, like, we used to go, even at 14, 15, we'd go in, go to work. I'd be in there from eight in the morning. Um, and I was just flat out all day. And you'd have a break in the afternoon, and then we're back in the night to flat out. But then after work, we, we used to get a slab of beer or something, and we'd just sit around the table, and all we talked about was work, talked about food. Um, and obviously at that age, I was just absorbing it all in and just listening and just, you know, and the fact that this guy for me kind of knew, well, he made it sound like he knew everything, you know, about, um, and I was just sitting there thinking, you know what, that's, that's what I want to be like. I want to sit there. I want to be able to talk about any style of food and, you know, um, be creative like that. And yeah, so I suppose without him, I would never have. I wouldn't have been in the industry for a start, um, you know, because I know I know what I'm like, and especially as a, as a kid, if I'd have walked into a random kitchen and they'd have told me fucking your shit or whatever else, I'd have went, "Oh, is that right? Fuck you!" And I they go. But yeah. because I was working there, I was working with my uncle. I couldn't go. <laughs> there was no, you know, there was no that. I couldn't say, right, listen, I'm going to go do something else. So I had to stick at it. But then there was a respect thing where he kind of he was to spend time with me, whereas. You know, he said that, you know, I'd spend time with me every day, kind of teaching me something. And that's what I try to do with, with people who come into our kitchen now. I mean, I don't like the thought of me bringing in a, a commie chef and saying, right, listen, there you go, go and peel a sack of spuds for, you know, 15 hours a day and I'll see you at the end of the week kind of thing. I always like to kind of show them something because if, you're, if they're learning something, it keeps them interested in what they're doing. Yeah, massively. But taking 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 people for individuals and actually realizing that they all have their own drives and their own creative styles and being able to work with that and, and develop. I mean, it's a key thing for mental health and well-being is that you know, we need to keep stretching ourselves in terms of our creativeness and learning new skill sets. Um, but too often or not, I think it's, you know, you're, you're popped in the popped in the kitchen environment. No one speaks to you. You know, you're, you're in a corner and then you just, as you say, left a, left a peeling, peeling carrots or... Well, I'm not with with our kitchen. We done um, you know, I done a kitchen refurb, but the in the middle of lockdown there. And um, the first thing I said, I was like, right, so I want to put speakers up in the kitchen." 
you know, because I want, I want the guys to come in. I want them to be enjoying themselves. I don't want them, everybody sitting there in silence and, you know, thinking of, you know, looking at their watch or whatever. Um, you know, there needs to be an atmosphere that, you know, you need to enjoy yourself. And, you know, we all do. We all we sit down and at a certain time every day, we have dinner together and kind of have that kind of family kind of, you know, and, uh, you, you know, you can talk about anything in there. Don't get me wrong. They'll rip the out of you, but you can talk about it anyway. <laughs> yeah, you still got the banter. You got you've got to have the banter of a hospitality environment, whether you're front of house, back of house. You, it's nothing without the banter. It keeps it keeps it yeah. going, doesn't it? Well, some some of my best friends are in this industry. You know that maybe I only got in touch with, you know, years down the line. But um, yeah, and it's 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 a strange industry where. You know, you find it hard to speak to people that aren't chefs because <laughs> you've got nothing to talk about, as I was saying earlier. Yeah. Well, I was a mate of mine's in the Navy, and he often says the same thing. It's, it's that same sort of mentality, isn't it? Like, if if you're not in that environment and you're not with those people, often enough, they don't understand your language. Um, yeah. You know, And there's such bubbles as well, especially kitchen environments. There's such bubbles where, you, you know, things that go on within kitchens – yeah, the good stuff is great, uh, and other people perhaps wouldn't relate to it. But the bad stuff is, is you know, it gets out of control, and, and again, people just they couldn't be able to fathom it, really, would they? This is it, and I think as well. I think the industry has changed over the years as well. Where uh, you know, back when I was, you know, I, I'm not. I'm, well, I like to think I'm not that old. You know, I'm 38, um, but you know, when I was mid 20s, early 20s, I mean. It was strange. It was like you didn't speak to the kitchen from the restaurant next door or whatever else. Whereas now, you know, you night you have industry nights where you can go meet from the from the pub down the street, and you know you can have banter about how's your week been, and you know be supportive that way. And whereas before it was saying, "Oh, competitive is a good thing," but um, you know it's nice to be able to kind of help other restaurants out now as opposed to be you know fighting against them kind of thing. That's the thing with the amount of people we've got in this country and, and the amount of restaurants we've got as you know, there's enough to go around, isn't there really? Um, I mean, do you think that COVID's helped like boost that, that mentality of, of helping each other out? Yeah, a hundred percent. I, one of the things that you, I, I've, you know, people may agree with me, people may disagree with me, whatever. It's just my opinion. One of the things that used to frustrate me most about Cardiff in particular was, um, there was never that sense of community. You know, I used to go up to Bristol and you'd, you, you know, you'd look at different restaurants and they're all supportive of each other. You know, you'd phone a chef and say, oh, listen, you know, where do you recommend? And he'd, he'd list you, you know, he'd give you a list of places to go. And I just found in Wales, whenever, you know, new restaurants were opening, it was like they wanted them to fail. Not Wales, sorry. And um, I don't know if, you know, in Cardiff anyway. Um, that as I say, I'm not, I'm not saying that's what it was. That's what it felt like. Um, mm. And since COVID, I think it has brought the whole community together. We we chose this restaurant because it was in the outskirts of Cardiff. It was um, it's surrounded by independent restaurants and independent businesses. Sorry, not restaurants. And you know, when we first walked around it, we kind of you got that sense of you know, the community that it was, everybody did want to help each other out. And um, I just, when you go in the city centre, it's not like that, but I do think COVID has brought everybody together. Everybody is, 
it's, it's probably helped that everybody's moaning about the same thing, as I say. And yeah, I do. I, I definitely 100% think that this helped bring um, the hospitality industry in this area in particular together. That's good. I mean, it's a shared unity, isn't it, that we wouldn't have had any other way, um, you know, looking at the positives of it. But, I mean, how have, you, how have your staff been? How have you been over, over this particular period? Um, staff have been good. Uh, as I say, I had a couple of them there that weren't eligible for furlough. So we've been we've been doing this to kind of, you know, the, the boxes and the, and the takeaways just to kind of keep them in jobs and to kind of keep them with um, some money coming in, obviously. But, uh, you know, it's... I I try my best to try and stay in contact with a few, you know, like every now and again, somebody that I haven't seen since we closed from December. You know, you have to kind of drop my message just to see how they are. Um, you know, and just because I said, it do, this does affect everybody differently. Uh, the staff we have here, I think when they're, in, when they're in here, they're enjoying themselves and they're busting to get into work. They're busting to kind of get in and just do something because there is nothing else to do. And I do think it helps them, you know, their, you know, mental health side of it as well. Uh, so staff have been great for me personally. I've, um, you know, I've just kept busy. I just, I was a bit naive at the start when we first went into the, the, the first lockdown. I thought, oh, be gone in two weeks. <laughs> You'd be back to normal. But, uh, Didn't we all? Yeah. Was, uh, <laughs> and then, you know, I kind of, I suppose it was the summer, wasn't it? So it was easier. <laughs> you know, the, the weather was out. It was good. You could have, you know, you could have done something with the family. We couldn't, but, you know, um, but no, it's just, I don't know, it's winter, it's wet, it's miserable, and there's nothing to do. You're, you know, you're trying to get the kids motivated. You're trying to get the staff motivated. And then, you know, I'm an absolute nightmare because I'm sitting down in the restaurant on my own, and I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, oh, I could do that, I could do that. Next thing you start pulling things apart and, you know, opening up cans of worms everywhere. So, um, you know, last week it hit me a bit where I just thought, oh, I've had enough now. I just want to get back mm. to a bit of normality. Just open up a golf course or something, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, um, but, yeah, so I think it will be a lot better when we have – a date, you know, like, as I say, I know I mentioned it earlier, but, you know, in New England, they'll have something, but it's something to focus towards, you know, you can open up your booking system. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're constantly on pins here thinking, are they going to make an announcement and say we can open next Thursday or something? You're like, well, shit, I'm not ready. You know, and as stupid as that sounds, you're sitting here thinking you should be ready, but there's a lot of work and a lot of um, planning goes into reopening two restaurants. Um, you have to get the staff back. You have to get trained back up again because, you know, they've been off from before Christmas. A lot of things have changed that way. Um, there's a lot of planning needs to go in. Is it going to be, you know, the six, six, um, what was it, six people rule? Um, is it going to be two meter social distancing? Is it going to be table service? So, you know, things like that, which all need planning. Um, so, yeah, you know, the place needs cleans you know, from top to bottom. So there's a lot to go into it. So as I say, um, well, I think if we had a date, it would kind of give us something to look forward to and also something to plan towards. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the date of recording this is the 11th of March because I don't know when this is going to go out. So it might be that, you know, when this actually goes to air, hopefully we'll, we'll be back in back in hospitality again and back, back in full flow. But I mean, one thing that we're trying to work towards at this moment in time is like um, a reopening guide 
for yeah. business restaurateurs you know team managers whatever it might be so that we can sort of educate them on you know what to look out for in terms of their staff's well-being in terms of mental health but also just general stuff like for example spatial awareness you yeah. know we've all become quite accustomed to having this distance between individuals and yet you know when you see something on tv that was dated from two years ago and they're all having a party and they're cuddling each other and you just get that that yeah. Anti feeling, and this is all stuff that we're going to have to contend with when people start to come back. But I don't know if, again, that's just additional complications, I guess, for for business owners like yourself to have to think about. Hey, well, that's it, and it's also, as you say, the, the spatial awareness thing is something I am absolutely useless at. Um, you know, I'll walk in the Tesco or something, and, and my missus will, you know, kind of pull my arm or something, say, "Watch where you're going," or whatever I'm to say, because I, and it's something that. I, as you say, we need. I need to, you know, be aware of it. Staff need to be aware of it, not just for customers, but also for other members of the team and things like that. So, as you say, um, yeah, there's a lot of things that this has affected people in different ways. You know. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and you know, everyone has their different tolerance levels to these sort of things as well, don't they? Say, so, so, for those who uh, who are familiar with you and your work. Have you got anything in particularly for, uh, or is there something about you that those who are familiar with you wouldn't know? About me, I don't know. Um, can you put me on the spot now. <laughs> I know. Um, Bit of a curveball. Really. I don't know. Um. um well, as I mentioned earlier, I've just started playing golf recently, um, which, uh, you know, I just can't think. It's, I remember uh, my Mrs. Dad asked me to go out and play golf about three years ago, and I thought, you know, that's not for me, like walking around a golf course, and, you know, it's just not it's not me. But um, we st- I started playing at the end of the first lockdown, and because I'm one of them people, I've always, I always like to be surrounded by people. Um, I've... You know, I love socialising. Um, that's what I that's what I miss most with lockdown. It's um, you know, it's just talking to people and stuff like that. But um, yeah, so I suppose most people that know me and thought that I would stand around on a golf course on my Todd isn't really something that um, they would associate with me with. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think what else really. I mean, nothing I can think of off the top of my head. No. What is it about the golf that keeps you keeps you interested? Because for for me, I find it the most frustrating. And like it, it drags up so much anger in me. Golf, I just don't get it. So, what is it for you that that works? It's that competitive streak again. You know, I was um, I played um, against her dad, and the um, you know he beat me comfortably. And I thought, you know, the competitive side came out, and I'm like, well, fuck it, I'm just going to keep flipping doing this then until I beat you. <laughs> That's it. So, um, yeah, I just started playing like a couple of days a week on my own until I built up the kind of confidence to start playing with other people. And but also that when you're when you're out and kind of, you know, if you're just going out for a long walk, to so say you were, you know, you are, you're thinking of things. People say to me, I'll go for a long walk, it'll clear your head. It doesn't. It gives me time to think about things and give me time to think about what I need to be doing and reflecting on things that I you're just thinking work, work, work. Whereas I can go for, uh, you know, around a golf course, 18 holes, you know, 18 holes for me is probably about 30 mile mind because I'm, I'm all over the shop. 
But um, and you, it takes your mind off things because you're thinking about your game rather than thinking about about work and stuff like that. So for three hours or whatever it is, it just clears my head and um, and then you feel fresh, don't you? You feel better. You know, you've done a bit of exercise. You know, you've walked off um fifteen cans from the night before. So yeah. Sounds to me like there's a there's a Burnt Chef branded golf event coming up soon. <laughs> Can you imagine? I feel the 30, 30 well, <laughs> oh, there'll be bodies strewn across the golf course everywhere, wouldn't there? Like, you know, there'll be the nineteenth, twentieth, and twenty first hole, I think. But um that's perhaps we'll we'll plan that for later on when the weather's a bit better. So um can you give us a, an example of a, a mistake or failure that you've experienced during your career uh, that you've learned some like key lessons from? Um, you know, the biggest thing for me is, that, you know, people ask me if um, what advice and things like that would I give to the, you know, a young chef coming into the trade. And um, the biggest mistake I made, I touched on it earlier, was trying to get to the top too soon. And as I say, I know I mentioned it, but it's not so much when I say getting to the top. I thought getting to the top was being a head chef. Where getting to the top is, I mean, you know, what is getting to the top? <laughs> I mean, um, I'm a long way off there still. Um, so never think you're at that at that height. Uh, you know, I just for me, I would if I was to change things, I would go back. I would work on the the best chefs, um, I'd work f- at the bottom for as long as I could um, and just take my time at it. Because uh, I say, I was, I was head chef at 21. Um, I'd done that for a few years. Then um, I went traveling again, came back, took up another head chef's job. And it wasn't until I was probably about 30 that I took a complete step back. I thought, what the hell am I doing? You know, and I went and started from the bottom again. Um, and I was phoning, phoning chefs up, asking to go for, you know, stages, at 30 and having, you know, 21, 22 year old kids, you know, tell me to do stuff. And, and that's fine because, you know, nobody in this industry will ever look down at you for doing that. So that was the biggest mistake in my, in my career was just the wrong career path, but it's never too late to kind of turn it around. No. And it's quite a profound thing. It's something I hear time and time again on this podcast is that people are saying like, we are in, we are generally not just in this industry, but I think when especially you know young young men are very keen to move up the chain. I know I was keen to become a manager and and, and you know look after people and be at the top of the game at a really mm. early age. But one thing that you don't realize then until you're later in life is that you don't really know what you're doing. You don't you're not worldly wise enough to be able to handle people in terms of you know, managing them effectively, showing, giving them confidence, you know, giving them the right skill sets and resilience that they need. It's not until you're later in life that you go, ah. Perhaps, well, you don't know enough. <laughs> At 21, you don't know enough to teach them, do you? So, no. um, you know, you think you know, you think you know it all. You don't. You haven't a clue. Uh, I still don't know enough, you know, and I'm still, I will, I'm one of them people that I'll never be ashamed to pick up the phone and ask somebody for advice or and even advice, you know, I'll, you know, if I want a recipe and you know, if you know, I'll pick up the phone to one of my mates or whatever and say, Oh, listen, or even if I don't know them, I'll drop them a line and say, I'm sorry if you think I'm cheeky, but um, how'd you do that? And that's what's all about. So when people ask me, you know, people message me and I'm, I'll respond, I pretty much respond to everyone on 
um, the private messaging or, or direct messaging, sorry, and uh, because you know you've got to help, you've got to help people from you know that, that want to learn. I think it's an important thing, though, isn't it? Like you, you could potentially change someone's life by providing them either shutting the door on them and putting them off the career, or actually giving them that encouragement to be able to to, to flourish and make something amazing out of it. Well, I said, and there's no, you know, there's no secrets in this trade, really. I mean, there's nothing that I've done that nobody else probably hasn't done in the past. So, you know, why would I hang on to it? Why would I say, no, no, this is for me and me only? So if I've, it's taken me, you know, hours and hours to kind of develop something and I can give it to somebody and that's going to, you know, help them and not waste their hours that it's taken me to do it, then why not? Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is that when you're learning on your own, it takes bloody ages. And then hopefully if you can just give someone a little gem or a nugget. Um, I mean, is there anything in particular that you that you do in terms of your work life or in terms of your management skills or your just general skill sets that you could you could give to someone now that would potentially fast forward them a, a week, a month, a year? Yeah, I'm, I've learned so much with um, opening the restaurant. And, you know, I'd love to sit down with somebody that's opening up a restaurant that thinks they know it all or maybe is not thinks they know it all, but maybe is afraid to ask and just say, listen, these are the mistakes I made. Um, you know, don't do this. Don't do that. Um, ask for help. As I say, you know, I keep saying it, but you know, I, I'm a, I honestly believe that most people in this industry are approachable. Um, you know, say I, when we done this, when we opened up Heaney's, you know, I got to like three, four days before we opened, you know, and I thought I'd ever covered it and you have a credit card machine, you know, and things like that. Cause as you said, you've got a chef's mentality of the way, you know, you don't think front of house, do you? Um, yeah. And you've got to surround yourself with the right people, you know, and that's, uh, I think that's the most important thing in this industry as well. You know, surround yourself with the, with the right people and, you know, you know, aces and places, there's people out there that, you know, have done this before. You know, they've opened restaurants left, right, and centre, so just ask them. Yeah, definitely. You, you can certainly gleam a lot of information out of, out of people who are quite willing to help you through their journey. And yeah, I guess... I think, and it, sorry, go on. With, with me, I'd say, you know, I could probably tell you of mostly things not to do rather than things to do because it's the things I've done and the mistakes I've made. What are your, what are your, top, what are your top three things not to do? Um... I suppose, what did we do at the start? Um, I suppose, this one here, you, you can, um, when we opened here, I had this plan where I wanted to, you know, I looked around Cardiff, looked at what people were doing, and this is before we opened, sorry, and we thought, right, well, we're going to do that because that's what seems to be popular and that's what seems to be you know, working. But if you're the owner, or you're the, the chef, do what you want to do because you're going to get a lot more satisfaction out of it and you're going to put a lot more love into it and you can stand by it and stick at it. You know, try it. You know, if at first you don't succeed, just keep going. And that's what we've done here. We, we introduced small plates in Cardiff whenever, you know, they've been doing it in London for years. They've been doing it all over the world for years. But people said to me, oh, Cardiff isn't ready for it. 
and they were right, you know, and it took us time. And, but, you know, we went, we changed and we decided we were going to do a three course menu that lasted a couple of weeks and we went back. We thought, well, no, we don't enjoy it. So yeah, just stick to what you do, um, stick to what you believe in, but most importantly, do what you enjoy doing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well said. I mean, one of the questions I'd like to ask all of my uh, all of my guests is if you could give some advice to a 16-year-old self, what would it be? But I feel like we've covered a lot of that already. Like, I don't know, if there's, is there anything else you wanted to add, sort of add on to that question at all? Yeah, stop drinking and get to work. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> um, yeah, as I say, I think we've pretty much, you know, I made a lot of mistakes, as I say, Um I probably pissed off a lot of people over the years um, with, you know, I wouldn't say arrogance or anything like that, but um, I wouldn't say I miss, I don't, I don't, I've always tried to treat people properly. Um, but there's maybe certain employers out there over the years that I probably could have done more for. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I just think, you know, probably just the way I started my career path is probably the biggest thing for me. So in terms of travel, world, world traveling, do you think that that's something that like a lot of people out there who are looking at getting experience should also do as well, like travel different countries and work in different countries? I, I think so. Um, you know, traveling isn't for everyone. You know, I know people that are just comfortable at home and, and things like that. But for me, I just loved it. You know, I love meeting new people. As I say, I love um, seeing new cultures and, you know, I love different food, you know, so when I worked in America, we worked in, um, it was a, you know, we worked right on the Chesapeake shore. So it was a lot of, you know, fresh crab, lobster, things like that. Um, used to go fishing a lot. Um, then when I went to Australia, it was, um, it was more Asian influenced than a lot of the food, which mm-hmm. I felt with absolutely love that, that style of food. Um, then obviously went to, to London. I wish, I suppose, I had spent more time in London. Um, but again, I done it completely wrong. You know, when I went to, you know, when I went to Australia, I was working in, you know, Mission Star restaurant, but I was also out in the piss and enjoying myself at the same time, which is, you know, which is good. But I came back then. I was in London and I didn't have a, you know, I didn't have a penny, so I just couldn't stay there. There was not. There wasn't. You know, it just it just couldn't happen. Um, I wish I'd have spent a bit more time up there. But yeah, I definitely think, you know, like I remember going to so I, I me myself, my uncle and my dad, we went, we took I, we had motorbikes and we travelled around across the France, um, through France to Spain. And the idea was we're gonna spend, you know, two weeks travelling through France, three weeks in Spain, and then travel back. Um and we went to so we're out and enjoying ourselves and stuff like that. Then we went to um, Asturias and booked into Casa Marcial, which is a two Michelin star restaurant, um, Nacho Manzano. And we booked in there and I went in to speak to the chef and came back out and my dad was saying, oh, we're going to do this tomorrow. We're going to do that. I said, I can't, I'm working. <laughs> what do you mean? I said, I just asked him, can I pop in for a few days and do some work? So, you know, you're you're never going to experience that really are you you're not going to so why not take these opportunities when you're out traveling just i did i've done it with three days you know working over there to see what the different culture was like and things like that so um yeah i just think traveling and 
seeing different food, it just it massively helped me and it just you know, it, it gives you ideas, fresh, fresh ideas and but it's also really good to see how different culture how different kitchens work as well. You know, the way that kitchen operated was completely different to any kitchen I've ever worked in. So it was great to see. And that brings me on to quite an interesting question, actually. In terms of cultures, I mean, and you working in different environments around the world. I mean, the kitchen, we like to think of the kitchen environment being the same no matter where you go. But I'm, I'm starting to realise that actually different countries have different cultures in terms of work ethics, in terms of, you know, how they how they perform, how they staff looked after. Is there any particular country that springs to mind that you think actually these guys have got it nailed, or this particular point of it have got it nailed? Um, not necessarily. I just think uh, everywhere works differently, and every everywhere, um, you know, I I love the fact that you know in in Spain, it is very very laid back. Uh, well, the restaurant I worked in anyway worked in, so I staged in, but. Um, you know, it was, and you could see it was enjoyable. And I suppose that's the kind of, that's where I took this. I took a lot from just being there for a couple of days to kind of doing what we do here. As I say, the fact that, you know, you sit down, you have dinner together, um, you know, and it's just, it was almost like, a, as I say, that family feel when you were there. You could tell that these guys were working with each other for a long time. Um the one thing that threw me when I when I was there was it was just like I'm used to being on the pass. You've got everything in front of you and controlling everything. Whereas there it was, um, you know, you didn't see tickets. You know, the checks were on you know a wall. You know, on the other side of the room, and the, and the manager or the or the, the waitress would come in and call the table away and call the dish away, and you'd plate it up and send it. You know, it was a bit so completely different. Um, but it was so relaxed, and it just it just worked so well. Uh, it's not something I think I could ever do because I think I'm too controlling. <laughs> I'd love to be able to do it, but yeah, it worked for them. So um, yeah, and you know, Australia game is completely different. You know, where I worked in Australia, I had like it was like a really long line. You know, and you all had your own section, and right. it was just a really strange how it all kind of came together. You know, again, it wasn't just onto the pass and. Like that so yeah i mean i'm 100 i'm glad i done it um and that's why i'd recommend anybody to, to do it really and go traveling and just uh to see the different cultures as you say such an interesting one the one the fact that you if you take the head chef or whoever's running the pass out of that position it reduces their stress and potentially reduces the stress of other people eh? yeah and you know if there's one thing i could change about myself at the moment which i'm trying to is is to try and take that step back. You know, I want to get to the stage where you can take me out of the kitchen and you wouldn't know. To be honest, you probably wouldn't know anyway. It's just me. <laughs> <laughs> it's our egos talking when we say that. Yeah. You know, I just, if I'm not there, I'm thinking, you know, I, I haven't seen that dish going out. How do I know if it's going to be right? And, you know, if, if something's not right and you're there, you can go, well, all right, I was there. It was my mistake. And, um, you know, you can stand by it. If some, if you're not there and somebody makes a mistake, you tend to go, "Would that have happened if I was there?" But you need to get that out of your mind. You need to, you need to trust your staff. And I've got an, an amazing team here, and there's no reason why, you know, because I turned in the first two years we opened. We say first two years, we've been we've been closed nine months. Of that, so, um, you know, I turned down a lot. I turned down a lot of guest chef nights. I turned down a lot of, um, you know, um, 
demos and you know I, I was supposed to be in Greece last year cooking uh, you know things like that and you've got to do them things you know to promote your restaurant and to also give the guys in the kitchen the confidence you're confident you can lead them to it yeah it brings me back to something Claire Smith actually said when I was chatting to her. She said that she, similarly to yourself, she doesn't like being the owner or the manager. Sometimes she just wants to be on the line or she wants to do something. But then by doing that and, and jumping into those positions, you're taking it away from someone else and not giving them the opportunity to develop. So you sort of yeah. almost pigeonhole yourself, don't don't you really? Like you want the sweet sweet days back at, back doing that role again where there wasn't that responsibility, but also at the same time, I think that's where the competitive nature comes into it now. It's a case of, you know, to be the best leader and to be the best, you know, the best in terms of employing and well-being of your staff. It's about how do you empower them and put your ego to the side so that you can step back and, and know that it's all right. Yeah. Like, it's going to be okay. Yeah, and, you know, it comes even with developing dishes. You know, you've got to go, okay, and take a step back and let somebody develop a dish and bring it to you. And you go, do you know what? That's bang on. Rather than go, oh, I'd have done it like this. Or I'd have done it like that. And at the end of the day, you know, it's got to represent the restaurant. That's number one, you know, but you've got to credit the people that made it. And that's what we're, you know, as I say, I've got a, a, an amazing team here. So that's the thing we're working on now is, you know, we want to be able to do more development work with the chefs rather than, you know, me come up with everything and, and that's it. Yeah. And is there any particular ingredient or, you know, style that you're looking at for when you reopen that, you know, you're specifically focusing on? Um, style of service is something that I really want to work on. Um, you know, we've, we've always prided ourselves in the fact that we're a relaxed restaurant, but we want to make it, even more relaxed if that makes sense we want we want people to come here for an experience um i want people to come in and say that was an amazing night and the food was good rather than come around leave and go yeah the food was really good yeah <laughs> so that's what yeah, we're, yeah. Uh, we want them to come for an experience and just go oh, we just had a really enjoyable evening or just you know we can't wait to come back um the food should be good no matter what but the um you know we we want them to experience the the music we want them to experience the you know the atmosphere um you know i've just the thing we, you know we've just taken the uh, the doors off the kitchen just to kind of you know so people can hear the hustle bustle from the kitchen as well rather than because if it, when you this this restaurant's quite big as in not a lot of covers but it's a big restaurant if that makes sense so sometimes if there's a couple, you know, you know, you got lunch, there's only a few tables and people want to poke their head in the kitchen and things like that. So we want to just open it all up. Um, so that's, that's what we're focusing on for when we reopen. That's, that'd be, uh, I think for some businesses, that'd be quite, quite a challenge. You know, going back to what we're saying about kitchen environments being a bubble, yeah. all of a sudden, everything's on show. It will force you to have to. But you know what? It forces it, it also, not forces, but it also, keeps the chefs on their toes you know they have to be there's nothing to hide behind them and it goes back to that you know me thinking i have to be there every day because i've had this thing that you know because your name's above the door customers come in and expect to see you at the pass they don't expect to see your food um 
So they're, they're coming here for the restaurant. They're not coming here for me. So I want every chef in the kitchen to be able to have a customer look in and see them. They created the food. They've created that dish. And they then will feel proud of what they've created. Yeah. I mean, I'm always amazed when I sit down at, with an open kitchen and I see the fluidity of how teams work together and that seamless, you know, it's almost like magic when that plate of plate of delicious you know, passion and creativity arrives there. And you're like, I, I've got no idea. I've been watching them, how, but I've got no idea how that's come from an empty plate to where it is now. And I think that that, yeah, again, it goes to that experience of dining out, isn't it? If you can get that and people were always that surprised and, um, you know, amazed by what's what's being created in such a, a quiet and calm manner. I think it's um, yeah, it just only adds to the to the effect of dining out, doesn't it? Really. Well, this is the thing. I mean, when I um, you know, when we opened here for the first six months or a year, you know, we, you know, I, I opened this restaurant with, you know, pretty much nothing. Um, I put everything I had into it. Um, I had no financial backers. Um. And, you know, I was just thinking, I need to pay this money back. I've borrowed money from the bank or whatever else. I need to get this money back. I need to make sure there's a fresh one. So we, we fucking rammed this place every, every week. It was, you know, Saturday night, we'd have done 120, you know, and it was just, it was chaotic. And it got this, you know, when we reopened then after the first lockdown, you know, I was like, no, we're not going to do it. Obviously, we couldn't do it because we had the social distance and things like that. So we lost 30% capacity of the restaurant. And it was that, I mean, that's probably the biggest benefit we took from the first lockdown was it gave us time to kind of look and go, do you know what? Yes, what we were doing was really successful, but were people getting the best service they could get? Were they getting the best food they can get? So yes, we've lost 30% capacity of the restaurant, but now we can focus on the customers more. And we just reduced it right down to doing about 80 on a Saturday or something like that. But then it got to the stage where it was just working like clockwork. And I remember looking around one day and going, this doesn't feel right. You know, there's no, you know, there's no like getting your, you know, getting your ass kicked on a Saturday night and you get, you know, you finish work and you go, boys, you want a pint? That was, that was nuts. Nice. Nice and relaxed. It's, it feels wrong to me, but I know. That everybody's enjoying themselves and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, hopefully when we get the doors open, it doesn't look as chaotic as it felt to me. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, for me, it was it was really good to actually just turn around and go, right, we can reduce the covers and and the chefs are happier. Everybody's happier, and you can see it through through everything we do now. Isn't it funny? We like in this industry, we have always been taught. It has to be more, has to be more. You need to cram more people in. You need to do more. You need to serve faster, da, 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 da. But actually, COVID, what COVID's taught us is that we can run profitable businesses and have happy workforce by doing less. And it's such yeah. an oxymoron because it goes against everything that we've ever known. And, I mean, we when we uh, opened after the first lockdown, we basically scrapped the, the small plates thing because we didn't we, we didn't know how long it was going to last. Um and we just done taste the menu only. Now that's not that's not what we're going to do when we reopen this time. We will do taste the menu only on weekends, and then we'll do small plates and offer a taste the menu. Um, but we were doing things like a shared taste the menu and things like that, and you know, because I didn't know if people were willing to pay the money. And at the end of the day, it's not about the money, is it? It's about 
It's about value. And as long as the value is good enough, then they'll pay the money. It's all about perception. And exactly. it's not your it's not your perception, is it? It's their perception, as you say. If they feel that it's good value, then irrespective of what it costs, they'll come back for more. I mean, that's such a poignant point because we often get stuck in our own little we see the world for a certain frame, don't we? We get stuck in that view that like, oh, people won't pay an extra four pound or three pound for for this particular main or whatever it might be, because I believe that. But sometimes we've got to try it for people to know. Especially after um, after after Brexit, you know, the cost of all ingredients is going to go. It's got it's got to go up because importing is, yeah, is course, yeah. up. and the public are going to have to you know swallow that to a certain percent, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, we had it. Like, I was trying to keep everything on to a certain price point, and then I thought, well, you know what? We want to be working with the best ingredients, and to work with the best ingredients, you got to charge the money. Um, I think, you know, we get a lot of people coming in here, and they think, oh, it's really reasonable, and you get the odd one that thinks, you know, you know, well, it, it's a bit expensive. So, but you know, as you say, everything is going to go up. Um, but I think people know that. I think customers know that. So I think everybody's kind of ready for it anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just it's something we're all going to have to accept. And, and rather than trying to squeeze people for more margin and get a better GP, GP out of something that doesn't exist, I think we just have to, you know, trust that the general public and now knowing that they're going to pay more. And actually, perhaps, you know, this is an opportunity to get a fairer deal on not just for, for the restaurants and for the staff, but also for the producers as well. You know, if we can start using native producers for stuff, and I'm not saying that everything that's produced in England is, is or Ireland is, is the best, but, you know, I think that ultimately if we can start making sure that those, like English asparagus, I mean, it absolutely kills me to know that by the time we get relaunched, we're probably going to miss the English asparagus season. And so... You know what? My, my fish, uh, my fish, my um, uh, my veg supplier messaged me last night saying, I've just got a case of White Valley asparagus. In. And I said, Yeah, I'll have it. <laughs> my, my chef said to me there, he said, What's this for? I went, I don't know. <laughs> he just told me I had it, and I said, I'll have it. <laughs> We're not even open. So I must have gone, no, or something. I don't know. <laughs> but. I mean, it's the same. Luckily, we were open in August for the game season, like when grouse came out and stuff like that. Because couldn't you imagine? All of a sudden, game season comes, and all of these things that are coming through, like your venison and your grouse and your, you know, your wood pigeon, but we're not able to use any of it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think we do need to support. We need definitely need to support our, you know, our local producers more and more. People like Wide Valley and the thing is, we're going to have to now as well, especially with you know. Um... You know, because a lot of like fishmongers and fishermen, sorry, they're they're going to lose out massively to um, the fact they're not going to be able to export. You know, certain products now, so we've got to support them. We've got to make sure that these guys are still. You know, we've got to keep the supply chain going. Yeah, it's vitally, yeah, vitally important, really, um, more so now than ever. But no, that's I mean, that's class. Thank you ever so much, Tommy, for for your time. Um, is there anything you wanted to add before we sort of close this close this to an, a fine halt? No, nothing really. I think um, I think you're all probably bored listening to me now. So, <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. I'm, do you know what? One thing that surprises me is I, I regularly get messages of people saying how much they enjoy each and every podcast, and 
to to myself who's hosting them it's a case of like i i feel that there's this repetition you know of me asking the same sort of questions but everyone has their own unique views and their own unique backstory and you know their own unique experiences and i think that people re- can relate to different different guests and different conversations so yeah i'm i'm continually amazed i mean we're at, at this point where we've only been going for just over a month and we we're, we're getting 10,000 downloads um in such a short period of time so it, it reaffirms that what we're doing on these conversations and what we're talking about people are interested in so i'm sure you're sure yours will be just as uh, as highly anticipated as every, every, everyone else before and after sir thank you very much no problem and if people wanted to connect with you online where can they find you um yes yeah, um, instagram uh, twitter things like that so social media really or just my emails on there if there's anything as i say any advice or anything you got that i can help them with or, or sorry any um not to do is they want to know <laughs> mate that's amazing thank you ever so much and uh I, i'm due to come to cardiff once we eventually relaunch so uh, i'll pop my head through the door and say hi or or yeah. not in the case of your kitchen <laughs> yeah just just look on the local golf course i'll be there <laughs> mate, i'll give it a go this time in two weeks i'll have i'll have tried to sneak onto a golf course and have at least one hole uh, and then i'll see how it goes all right <laughs> Perfect. Okay, have a good one. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much. I'll speak to you soon. Good luck, luck. See you later. I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Burnt Chef Journal. If you wanted to learn more about the Burnt Chef Project, head over to our website, www.theburntchefproject.com, where you'll find a whole host of resources and information relating to well-being and mental health within hospitality. Whilst you're there, why not visit our shop, and support us by purchasing some branded merchandise, which we then use the profits to fund our ongoing work in destigmatizing mental health within the hospitality industry. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you again next week.